Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. I'm Christian Sager. And I'm Joe McCormick. And it's the day after Halloween here in the How Stuff Works office. How was your Halloween, guys? Fabulous. Yeah, I had a good one. Uh, I had to go hunting for like an actual Halloween experience, though, because my wife and I got dressed up and we took the mm-hmm. dogs out for a walk and no one in like a like a mile radius of our house was was really celebrating oh, Halloween. You're not saying hunting hunting. I well, was like, I was hunt you don't seem like a hunting I was hunting guy, humans. Christian. That's what you do on Halloween, right? For right. fun. Yeah, but, yeah. but not hunting yeah. them for fun, hunting them in hopes of but, finding Exactly. Fun. And I prefer the ones that are in costumes because they taste better. <laughs> so we had to get in the car and drive to a suburban neighborhood where there was like full on Halloween going and it was great. Ah. Well uh well we just went around in our neighborhood uh uh, my son, uh, his his friend, uh, uh, their parents, and we all just walked around, did the trick or treating thing. Yeah. And there, but there was one moment that was uh, that was a little bit legitimately creepy. Uh, I'll say that uh, that kind of goes in with our uh, recent creepy pasta episode. Oh, really? So we were finishing up. It was dark. Uh, you know, one or two houses left, and there are a lot of kids on this particular street that we were trick or treating on. And one of the kids turns around and he points past me uh, behind my back and says, says. 
He's dressed as Slender Man. And oh. I look around, and there's clearly nobody dressed as Slender Man. There's, like, nobody <laughs> even tall enough to be Slender Man. Yeah. And it, like, left me confused for a second. And I, for, for a, a, a brief moment, I considered, is he seeing something that only children can see? Is Slender Man back there? And, wow. That's uh, actually, that would make the Slender Man thing even creepier yeah. if it was only children could see Slender Man. But I, I wanted to question him. I didn't get a chance. I was like, like, hey, hey kid, where is Slender Man? Point to Slender Man. Let's have a discussion about this. What? Hey, Joe, what did you do? Uh, I stayed home. Rachel and I stayed home. We gave out some candy to trick-or-treaters. We uh, we reheated some leftover chili, kind of nice Halloween feast, and we mm. watched Toby Hooper's Salem's Lot miniseries. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. with, with all of the haircuts. Yeah. The, the true horror <laughs> David in that Soul. movie. Yeah. The 70s haircuts. Unbelievable. That movie scared the hell out of me uh-huh. when I first saw it, but I was much younger. Yeah. The, the scene with the little boy floating up uh, against the window. Yeah. The vampires in it are yeah. really freaky. Yeah. yeah I, I haven't seen it in forever, but I, I listened to a lot of Halloween mixes yesterday, mm-hmm. and there was one in particular that threw in some samples from the Salem's Lot movie, the the bit where the, the showdown between uh, is the, ma- the master and the uh, the priest. Oh, Barlow and right. Callahan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah man, I, w- I would sample the heck out of James Mason in that movie mm-hmm. because he is so smooth. Yeah, I love how great. they they invert the classic monsters familiar, like in the Universal Dracula and well, all, all the traditional Draculas. You get the crazy familiar. You get Renfield, who's mm-hmm. out of control, but he's also like imprisoned and not very potent mm-hmm. as a character. In, in this one, you got this smooth, suave James Mason in these fancy suits. Yeah, he's basically yeah. Captain Nemo outside of the submarine. Hey, I got a question, though. We're talking about Halloween, and actually, October's over, guys. That means that we can't do Halloween episodes for another year. That's a <laughs> bummer, though. You know us. If you're a regular listener, we yeah, kind of we'll, slip some Halloween in all year long. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll sneak it in, I'm sure. But of course, we've been talking about Halloween for a month. Yeah. And in doing that, we, we managed to yet again let the Ig Nobel prizes slip past us. So. We did, yeah. We're gonna make up for that this week and also provide maybe a, a, a kind of a palate cleanser, I guess, for anyone who wishes to move on from Halloween uh, <laughs> episodes for a little bit. This'll definitely be like your silly science, uh, series of episodes. Mm-hmm. So let's, why don't we tell the audience, maybe some of them haven't listened to our previous Ig Nobel episodes, but we generally cover them every year. Uh, what are they? Well, they have been awarded since 1991 by uh, the publication, The Annals of Improbable Research. Uh, the purpose of the award, according to the editors of uh, the publication, is to, quote, honor achievements that first make people laugh, then make them think. And uh, furthermore, they stress that uh, the 10 prizes aren't necessarily meant to pass judgment on the winners. Instead, the official website emphasizes that the prizes, quote, celebrate the unusual, honor the imaginative, and spur people's interest in science, medicine, and technology. And the principal individual here in all of this is uh, the editor of the of uh, the Annals of Improbable Research, Mark Abrams. And I would say that that goes along with our mission here. And mm-hmm. so it, these kind of work together nicely in that, like, hopefully we give them a little bit of a boost. They point out this bizarre research that we can take a deeper look at. And we have more time on the podcast than they have in their live ceremony to actually, like, dive into the research here. Yeah, I think one of the the big take homes about it. I mean, obviously, it is a it is a reference to the Nobel prizes, where where the like a Nobel prize in chemistry or biology is a big deal, and it's usually a study that is going to have a huge impact. 
with the Ig Nobel Prizes, I think it, it, it definitely highlights this idea that we have touched on before, science as this slime mold making its way through a maze or a labyrinth. And, uh, and the, the slime mold of science, as it explores the world, it is going to explore everywhere. It is going to look in every mundane uh, pantry and closet. Uh, and that is, that's one of the things the Ig Nobel Prizes celebrate. Some of these studies that we're going to discuss, it's one of those areas where you can say, well, why did science need to look into that? Mm. Why, why did money and effort and, and scientific rigor approach this portion of the world? And the answer is, well, because science must. Science must go in there. And in some of these cases, it actually turns out to be important. Like yeah. stuff that seems totally ludicrous, which I don't know about you guys, but some of mine seem totally <laughs> ludicrous. But uh yeah. And, and in fact, like other episodes of our show have built off of enti- the entire premise of Ig Nobels. Like, for instance, our necrophilia episode, mm-hmm. uh basically we got the jumping point off of that from – I think it was like an Ig Nobel from like five years ago, maybe Yeah, longer. the necrophilic duck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we were able to find a whole ton of information. That's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. I, I remember after you guys had first been talking about doing that, we were in this long meeting and at the end of the meeting, somebody came over to talk to me about something and I realized what was on my computer screen was all this stuff about <laughs> duck necrophilia. Yeah. 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 I hope they liked it. I, and if you out there haven't listened to the episode, you should because it's really surprisingly not as grim as you would think. I mean, it's grim, but it's also like really educational, both in terms of the animal kingdom, but also psychology of human beings. Yeah, it, it demystifies the topic uh, and, and I think uh, manages to do so in a non-exploitive way. So what? Can and we... it's a great way to get through a meeting. Boring <laughs> meeting, hit up the duck necrophilia. <laughs> so what can we do that with today? Oh, well, we have a, we have a, a host of uh, studies here to touch on. There are 10 awards. Right. So this is going to be part one of a multi-part episode. Correct. How many episodes? Who knows? It might be two. It might be three. We'll just see how it goes. So the approach here, as in previous years, is we divided these 10 prizes up. We each took three of them, and then there was one left over, and uh, I ended up taking that one just because I had one of my other papers turned out to be a bit short. Okay, well, it looks like I'm up to bat first. All right, what do you have for us, Joe? Well, this would be the physics prize this year, which was offered to Marc Antoine Fardin for using fluid dynamics to probe the question, can a cat be both a solid and a liquid? <laughs> this is a real uh, Schrodinger's cat slash not scenario. Right. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. The cat's both a liquid and a solid until you look at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so it's for a paper called On the Rayology of Cats. So here's an experience I'm sure you've all had. You're at a restaurant. You get some French fries. You want to put some ketchup on your plate, but the ketchup at your table is the glass bottle. Ah. You know there may be trouble ahead. So you turn it up, you unscrew the top, you shake, jiggle, tap, and all that, but you can't get the stuff out of the bottle. It will not flow. You all have had this experience, oh, right? Oh, yeah. That's when you have to uh, – it's probably not very uh, polite, but you have to get the butter knife yeah, out. Yeah, I always stick a butter knife jabbing. in there. Just jam yeah. the knife in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you just, but then you end up feeling like a real animal, uh, which is always a shame because I find that 
the glass bottle of ketchup, you, you tend to encounter it at n- not the the highest level of restaurant because that kind of place is going to have is going to bring it out to you in a yeah, in like a soup cup. Yeah, right. but it's also not a super cheap restaurant because otherwise you would have packets or you would have a plastic squeeze bottle uh-huh. or you would have a, a pump and little little cups that you fill it up with. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice enough restaurant that you feel awkward jabbing a, a knife into a bottle like an animal. You know, some restaurants take those glass bottles and they just refill them. Oh yeah, yeah the mirror. Of course of the they ketchup. do. It's, yeah. a, it's a holy. Uh, <laughs> I a worked holy at a restaurant right. for four years while I was in college. Yeah, that was part of the job. Yeah, was refilling those. Much cheaper to buy in bulk and then just pump it back in. Oh yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But in that case, why wouldn't you use a squirt bottle anyway? So if if you have ever had this experience and you've ever wondered why won't the ketchup come out, your interest in the subject of rheology has been ignited. Rheology is the study of how matter flows. So given your experience with the ketchup bottles. You can probably guess that this is a surprisingly complex field. A lot of variables are going to go into how a substance flows under various conditions. So you know that one glass ketchup bottle sort of cleanly evacuates onto your plate, maybe even faster than you mm-hmm. want it to. And then the next one, same brand, same content, same bottle, just will not budge until you jam the knife in. So what makes the difference? There are a lot of variables. Temperature is a big one. You probably know this from cooking, right? You've got a lot of sauces, soups, other edible fluids that are very runny at a high temperature, but almost solid at a low temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are just tons of rheology characteristics that you can chart. Exactly uh, how does a flowing material react to different types of substrate materials? Like how does it flow on glass versus on some other type of material? Uh, or how does it uh, – like how far will it bubble up off the lip of a container before it overflows? There are all kinds of questions like that. So the measurement of a material's ability to flow is known as rheometry. And I think this paper technically qualifies as a foray into rheometry because it's going to be measuring cats. (laughs) And how how well cats flow out of ketchup bottles? Uh, Not quite ketchup bottles, but it gets surprisingly close. Uh, So rheology is actually kind of – It's one of those things that seems kind of dry at first, but it's more interesting the more you think about it. Uh, The Greek philosopher Heraclitus is famous for this insistence that the fundamental nature of the universe is sort of constant change. It's sort of like the static change. Since everything is always changing in a way, everything is always the same. You've heard that quote that no man ever steps in the same river twice. That's attributed to Heraclitus. Mm -hmm. Uh, But another way of expressing this idea is the aphorism pantarei, which is Greek for everything flows, like we all flow down here will flow too and uh, and so everything changes nothing remains still and fardam points out that the field of rheology is sort of along the same uh, same lines as this idea by Heraclitus. States of matter are not fixed features of the universe. They are expressed uh, through a matter of time. So eventually forces act on every mass of particles to make those particles deform or flow in some way. Uh, solid matter tends to deform over time. Liquid or gas tends to flow. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, this makes sense. So I'm thinking about like uh, we, we recently talked about like these massive glaciers glaciers in mm-hmm. uh, Svalbard and mm-hmm. that some of these glaciers have different uh, states inside of themselves. So some of them are more liquid and more solid than other states and that causes them to move, the entire glacier to move at different paces. This is somewhat related. Yeah, but that's a great example because on a long enough time scale, glaciers do flow as well. Even yep. though they're solid and you can walk on them, if you want to look over hundreds of years, they're sort of flowing. 
so a major factor in how things flow or resist flow is the state of matter. We all remember this from, you know, elementary school physics. But by traditional definition, you've got solids, liquids, and gas. And a solid is the state of matter which has both a fixed volume, it's not going to change in size, and a fixed shape. It's not going to change in shape. Liquid is the state of matter that's got a fixed volume but not a fixed shape, and instead it conforms to the shape of whatever contains it. And then gas doesn't have either one. It doesn't have a fixed shape or a fixed volume, but expands to fill whatever container it's in. Here's where the cat comes in. Now, being an animal, I think you generally assume the cat is more or less a solid, right? Well, it's I'm, kind of complex. It's a solid filled with liquids. Yes, that's true. Animals and, are kind of bags of juice, right? And then, but then cats. I haven't read the study, but ever since I saw the title, I keep looking at my cat and watching her move, and she does have like a very flowy liquid uh, movement to oh, her. You know, totally. But it's not. I would say it, it comes through less when the cat is moving around and walking, and more when the cat is at rest in various containers and substrates. So you guys are both cat owners. Mm-hmm. Haven't you seen the way a cat will sometimes seem to puddle in the bathroom sink or pour itself into a basket or box? Oh, definitely the baskets and box. Like that seems to be mm-hmm. universal. It, yeah, definitely. My my female cat Rowan is a. Uh, she she has an ability to like she's a little overweight but she has an ability to kind of just make her her mounds of flesh kind of form around her in mm-hmm. a liquid status yeah I mean, I remember this for, I've seen lots of cats that love to just sort of not just get into depressions and cavities in various types of containers, but seem to fill them perfectly to every edge like a liquid would. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So that inspired some people on the internet to make posts like cats are liquids. <laughs> and then Fardan is basically like, I saw a thing on the internet that said cats are liquids. Let's find out. <laughs> so he essentially takes a bunch of photos of cats cats and analyzes them using the criteria of rheology the same way you'd measure, say, a mass of ketchup or paint or mud to understand the way it flows. Uh, A cat in a jar, a cat spread across a lot of bars, a cat in a basket. And what follows in the paper, I would say, is mostly just a bunch of in-jokes for rheologists, but... I do think it's kind of interesting. Uh, the, the results are obviously that cats can have some unique rheological properties, combining apparent features of both solids and liquids. Okay. But wouldn't that be true of basically any mammal? Well, I mean, part any of it... Any fat, furry mammal. Right? Yeah, I think, I think the, fur, the fur and the sort of soft body is very crucial for the mm-hmm. cat. Because I'm probably when... a little bit solid and a little bit liquid. <laughs> oh, yeah? I'm like, what, like 70% of my body is liquid. Well, I mean, we are pretty much blood bags, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I would say something about the shape of your body. So imagine yourself trying to get into a sink or a box or a basket and just fill it the way a cat appears to, like a liquid. It doesn't seem quite as easy for you and me, right? One of the things about cats, of course, is that they are extremely flexible. and, And then they have these sort of various resting states that they'll go into these kind of uniform uh uh you know resting states so there's yeah. there's uh, I like to think of it as you have the bread uh, shape where the cat right. you know kind of tucks its uh, legs in and it's cat kind of, bus yeah, yeah kind of cat bus shape the cat loaf yeah the cat or a cat loaf you could call it there's also the bagel in which they curl up uh-huh. and then there's one there's one I I think most of them do this but my cat mochi definitely does this one where she just kind of like lays like she's been hit by a truck or something you know yeah. where it's just just completely sprawled out. Uh-huh. Uh, but all of these, they, they do look like 
different animals in these different shapes, and it's really hard to nail down exactly what the shape of their body is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, my flesh isn't as loosely hanging off of my body as it, it does on my cats. Right, yeah. On cats, you feel like you can just move it all over the place, and mm-hmm. the fur really helps also. The fur yeah. – gives the illusion that there's like a yeah. much more body there than there actually is. And that part of the body obviously can be deformed into almost any shape. That's why when you give a cat a bath, it is like one of the saddest things ever because right. they're miserable, but also they lose this ability you're talking about. Right. So that's part of the thing. A shaved cat would not appear to be a liquid in the same way a very furry cat is. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's it's pretty funny in the paper. Like a lot of these are obviously – a lot of these things he says in the paper are funnier if you are a rheologist or you're familiar with all these concepts. But they're still pretty funny even to an outsider. Like one is a picture of a cat in a basket and it's a very small basket. So picture a large cat in like a small French fry basket. Okay. And it's it's gathered up into the basket, clearly filling it entirely but puffing out over the top and mm-hmm. hanging over the sides. And he analyzes this photo by saying, quote, Cat on a super philidophobic substrate showing a high contact angle. (laughs) Another one, he's got a jar turned on its side with the mouth facing out. And there is a kitten pretty much completely filling the jar. And he says, quote, tilted jar experiment showing the yield stress of a kitten. So the yield (laughs) stress would be like what kind of stress has to be put on a mass of liquid before it flows out of a container at a certain angle. So, for example, the the ketchup in the bottle, uh, a lot of times the ketchup will not come out of the bottle because you have not adequately met its yield stress in whatever Mm -hmm. form it takes in the bottle. Here we've got the the kitten will not pour out of this jar because its yield stress has not been met. So while this is funny, right, uh-huh. and it's written to be funny, it also seems like it's probably important because it illustrates the principles of rheology in a way that that basically backs up how well they work. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I would say that this paper seems to me to be jokier than most of the other papers we're mm-hmm. looking at this time. Like he actually does do some math in the paper and – actually applies the rheological principles, does real analysis, but it's mostly, I think, just for the purpose of being funny, especially to other rheologists. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it matters, and, and he mentions in the paper some ways in which it might matter. Like, one thing is that cats are unlike most other types of liquids you would measure the flow of because they are self-powered and self-moving. Mm-hmm. And there are some analogies here to other things that you might actually want to study. Like uh, studying the flow of self-powered materials does matter in a lot of scenarios like studying the movement of large packs or flocks of animals or studying the flow of crowds of humans under various constraints. And this is sort of me extrapolating because I think that would also come into some different kinds of fields other than rheology. There's probably, you know, such a thing as just studying crowd dynamics. But but hold on. I got an idea of how this connects. Okay. So remember that movie World War Z? Yes. With the zombies, like... Mm-hmm. Zombie flow, basically, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, the zombies, like, came together as, like, a hive mind and could, like... Didn't... There was even one point where, like, I think they turned into a hand or something. Something dumb like that, right? They formed yeah. structures kind of like fire ants, too. You're talking about the movie. The course, movie, yeah. not the book at all, yeah. yeah. Uh Well, they would climb walls by piling themselves up against the wall and then scaling over. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so you could... Let's say you were one of the CGI operators on that film and you <laughs> needed to figure out how they would flow. Uh-huh. You could probably use the principles of rheology 
applied based on something like on crowd dynamics. Yeah, possibly. Well, I mean, I would say that crowd dynamics, studying the flow of crowds and other self-powered types of flow could have real consequences in, say, designing environments. For example, crowd crush and trampling are real things that happen when you get a bunch of people together in a place and they start flowing in a non-optimal way. I did an entire brain stuff episode on the the science of crowd crushes. And so I think maybe like understanding self-directed flow of biomaterials, whether it's a single animal or lots of animals acting as a pack – could help us better, maybe maybe better design public spaces to accommodate sudden human crowd flow without leading to tragedies. So cases where, say, a, a large group of people are screaming and flowing out of a movie theater. Yeah. And also cases where the blob is flowing out of the same movie theater after yeah. them. Uh, bo- both of these would oh, be man. opportunities for rayology. The rayology of the blob would be a great oh, paper. Yeah. That's yeah. what this guy should write next. Oh, I, I bet somebody has done that out there. I bet that's one of those things you could find. But to your point about just raising awareness of rheology, I think that's a, a great case in point. On this show, I do not believe we have ever discussed rheology before, and here we are yep. discussing right. it. Well, yeah. I, I think we should commit now. We should try to find at least <laughs> one really, truly interesting rheology topic to cover within the next year. Okay, yeah. Maybe the blob. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will jump into another 2017 Ig Nobel winning study. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? 
And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. All right, we're back. Robert, what do you have for us? All right, so this one, this was actually the first one that I, I snagged uh, from from this year's offerings uh, because it is a paper that I have covered before, kind of ad nauseum uh, because – there is a Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast episode, I believe, that touches on this. There was a video, and I'm pretty sure I did a blog post as well. Oh, I remember this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The uh, The title of the, the paper is Female Penis, Male Vagina, and Their Correlated Evolution in a Cave Insect. And this was a current biology paper, paper from 2014. I got to say, first of all, for our listeners, there's an image that's inserted here in our notes for Robert's referencing. Insert is a good uh, yeah. description. Yeah, it is very difficult to tell what is happening here, but it is also very easy to imagine what is happening here. It's just <laughs> these uh, organ-like structures flowing into and out of each other with a male and female symbol on them. It looks somewhat insectile, or maybe there's just hair on everything. I can't tell. Oh, it is a, it is a Cronenbergy uh, world that yeah. this, uh, this image uh, tempts us with. So basically, the reason uh, that this uh, the study was highlighted previously, the reason it won a Nig Nobel uh, uh, this year, is because it concerns sex, the sex swapped world of cave bugs, which I think we can all get behind. Um, so specifically, we're talking about Brazilian cave insects of the Neotrogla genus. Uh, we're talking four distinct, distinct species here, and they mark the first documented example of an animal with sex-reversed genitalia. <laughs> so as, dis, as detailed in uh, the Cell Press Journal Current Biology, the females, quote, insert an elaborate penis-like organ into the male's much-reduced vagina-like opening during 
40 to 70 hour long lovemaking marathons. Wow. So to clarify, would this mean that the male still makes sperm cells? Correct. And the female still makes egg cells. Right. But they, they bring them into contact by the female inserting an organ into the male to retrieve the sperm cells from inside. Exactly. It's okay. just a different, like, formation, essentially. Yeah. But it's, uh, but it's unique is the thing. Like, there are no other examples of, of, a a sex or gender swapping like this robust. Right, yeah. And this is, I mean, that's 40 to 70 hours. I mean, Sting would probably be embarrassed looking at this. <laughs> well... These cave bugs. The, the, the thing is, of course, that uh, Sting is a lover. And uh, I think lovemaking is a bit uh, anthropomorphic when you're talking about insects. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree, yeah. Yeah, uh, because the insect world is pretty brutal, and the lovemaking world of – really, the lovemaking world of a lot of organisms is fairly brutal. Uh, and is the um, – <laughs> I love how we've just landed on lovemaking instead of mating. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, you know, it just sounds more romantic, right? Yeah, um, I guess so. So um, – but there's more. Uh, there's there's more. There's some more brutal details here. Uh, as the team of Brazilian and Japanese researchers discovered, the female inserts her phallic gynosome into the male, and then the sex organ inflates, hooking a bevy of spines into the male's body to anchor the two insects together. Now, this is not the only organism with penis spines. No. In fact, uh, there there's evidence that human uh, ancestors have had uh, penis spines as no well. No way. Yeah, hominid, uh, other hominids have had penis spines before, and I believe there is some genetic data you can point to. Robert, t- tell me a little more about penis spines. I think I'm woefully undereducated here. All right. So, yeah, it's like basically like a cactus penis, I guess you could describe it as. Uh, because basically there's sort of a reproductive arms race in many organisms. And this is where spines may serve to stimulate or anchor uh, the organism into place, or it may serve in sexual conflict. Now, I think you're probably out there thinking like, what, so some insects have penis spines. That's it, right? No, I mean like mammals have yeah. penis yeah. spines. Like yeah. cats have cats penis have like penis spines. corkscrew kind of, right? Yeah, humans should wake up every day and just be thankful, but you know, for a number of things. But one of the things on the list should be that we don't have to contend with penis spines. Um, in, in this case of the the, the cave insect, uh, the researchers think that it may have other functions uh, aside from just anchoring it into place. It might have a role in genital stimulation or or in or quote in inflicting harm. So it's it's kind of hard to figure out. It, you know, it's like the the brundlefly told us. Uh, there's no such thing as insect politics. It's yeah. all. Yeah. It, it, and uh, so wait a minute. The, like this could be a sex organ or a defensive or offensive weapon. Well, only insofar as it plays into the 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 war, the continual battle of sexual reproduction. Yeah. The, when I, whenever I've read about this in the past, it's been a biological uh, survival mechanism, I guess. And, and it's this is horrible from an ethical standpoint of humans, right? But the idea is that the one without the penis barbs can't get away. If right. they do mm-hmm. not want to mate with the one with the penis barbs, once the barbs are attached, they're kind of stuck. Right. So I think that's what you mean by the inflicting harm, right? That it's it's sort of along the lines of uh, – if these were human beings, we would be referring to this as like a, a masochistic act. Now, the, the, the gynosome in this case, it again, it does not deposit material 
uh, like a male penis. There's no semen coming out of it. There's no sperm deposit. Instead, this uh, gynosome, it receives sperm uh, as well as capsules of nourishment, sort of a gift or a bribe to encourage uh, lots of mating. We see this in a number of different uh, um, insects typically. The mm-hmm. spiders too. Like yeah. They're the spiders that create a, a little wrapped up gifts. Uh, the males bring them to the females mm-hmm. to encourage mating, though sometimes they bring them something empty to trick them. So this is essentially like a an inverted vagina dentata. You could think of it that way. <laughs> yeah. So the the interesting Wait, would it be inverted? Would it be an extroverted vagina dentata? <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. That's probably the correct uh, terminology. No, to it's use probably here. not. <laughs> I don't. By the way, also vagina dentata is something that we've covered on the show separately. That 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 was a joke. That's not actual like biology. I guess that you would say it's kind of eversion. I believe. Sure. E- everted. Yeah. 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 It was like E-verted. the turning the turning out of a pocket. And yeah, the that's exactly what I was pocket. thinking yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very complicated to try and sort of fit the the uh, the Tetris uh, uh, equation here uh, in one's mind. Genital Tetris. <laughs> now that uh, that act of gift giving that we were talking about, the nourishment, uh, the researchers have argued here that this is likely what drove the evolutionary development of the female penis, the gynosome here to begin with. Uh, again, getting into this phallic arms race. Oh, hmm. okay, okay. Now. Why is it funny? I think that's pretty obvious uh, it, because it is a study that involves sex and the idea of a female organism penetrating a male organism. So sex teehee. Yes. Basically, that's that's it. And it's, it's benign violation. Well, yeah, as long as you're not one of the, the male cave bug. I guess. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. But yeah, it's it's basically just a a funny uh, sex headline, right? But it, it is still important. It's uh, it it's I think it's such a startling reversal of everything we've come to expect from sexual reproduction. And as the researchers point out, the reversal here is is in the quote rapid evolution and diversification unquote of genitalia. So male genitalia is usually the one to develop quote coercive adaptations, while female genitalia remains relatively simple. Uh, plus, it's the females doing the competition here for males and their seminal gifts. So the biological oh. resor- reversal re- results in a very robust behavioral reversal. Hmm. So perhaps with this particular species, there's more females than males or there's some kind of a – I don't know if sociological is the right term. But there's a there's a setup in which like they have to compete for the, the attention of the males in order to reproduce. Well, it sounds like the females would be the ones doing the, the courtship. Yeah. Uh, activities. Right. Yeah. And and it's it's interesting to to look at that as like I say the, the biological reversal and then that reverses the behavior as well. Okay. Uh I really like this study because I think flipping things around like this, it shows us that sexual reproduction is all about just the combination of these two things and the form those things take and all the behavior and culture associated with it is merely a product of natural selection. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And it makes me sort of think like where's it going? As well, not just with insects, but with like all species, you know, although for the most part, for the last like million some odd years, most of our species have stayed the same reproductive wise, but things can change. Well, and it also, especially when we start changing ourselves. It's also one of those studies that just raises the possibility like, what if, what if things had gone the other way? What if we were in a world where the vast majority, almost all uh, organisms that engage in sexual reproduction uh, entailed a, the, the female penetration of the male. Yeah. Right. And uh, and we were looking at a, a weird cave bug that did the opposite. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It does put it all into perspective. Yeah. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we have one more study here for you from the 2017 Ig Nobels. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. 
If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. All right, we're back. So I'm going to take us from inverted genitals to an entirely different place. This is the Peace Prize for the Ig Nobels this year. Uh, and it revolves around the didgeridoo. You guys familiar with the didgeridoo? Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm actually <laughs> – can our producer Alex insert the sound of a didgeridoo in here so that our audience kind of gets an idea of what we're talking about? No, wait, that was a didgeridon't. Here we go. And if nothing else, I think everybody should recognize that sound from any, like, Australian exploitation film where something mystical happens. What, now, was there a bunch of didgeridoo in Howling 3, the marsupials? I feel like there was. I mean, if there wasn't, it was a, that was a colossal failure on their part. Well, yeah. if there was, those marsupials would sleep better than most people. No way. Yeah. Huh. We've got some facts here, folks. Didgeridoo playing as alternative treatment for obstructive sleep apnea syndrome in a randomized control trial. That is the paper <laughs> that I am talking to you about today. The essential idea here is they demonstrated that regular playing of the didgeridoo is an effective treatment for obstructive sleep apnea and snoring. Huh. So do either of you guys snore or do you have sleep apnea? I don't have apnea. My dad does, but I snore a decent amount. I have I have relatives who, who have um, snoring issues, but yeah, I don't have it myself. So have you ever thought to yourself like, eh, what if I just play the didgeridoo a little bit more? Would that make it better? Science says yes. So this is the the play the like you're playing the didgeridoo music to settle down for the evening, or you're listening to it, or you just have having uh, it in your life. It huh. doesn't even have to be right before you go to bed. Oh, I'll wow. explain. Okay. So these researchers they took 25 patients who had apnea or hypopnea in in an index between 15 and 30. That's you know a, a measurement system that they use for like how bad these conditions can get. Uh, and they had them do didgeridoo lessons for four months. And the participants played didgeridoo for about six days a week for about 25.3 minutes a day. And it significantly improved both their and their partner's sleep disturbances. Now, we might wonder, like, what's the biological function here? Like, what is going on? Well, okay. Sleep disorders of this type, they're caused by the collapse of the upper airway. So the most effective intervention is usually what's called positive airway pressure therapy. So that's like when you see people who have the mask they go to sleep with that that provides positive pressure. Yeah. To be honest, like when I have sinus problems, what I end up doing is just pushing on my, my sinuses around. Around my nose. I think it's a mm-hmm. similar effect, but this is obviously like more methodical than okay. what I'm doing. Okay. Uh, for some patients, though, that's not suitable. So they need other interventions. The researchers involved in this experiment, they had heard, just heard from a didgeridoo instructor. He said, hey, uh, my students and I, we've had a complete reduction in our snoring and we're not sleepy during the daytime after we've been practicing didgeridoo for several months. Huh. And they thought, wait a minute, is this because didgeridoo is training the muscles in their upper airways? So, okay, 
they set up this methodology and they recruited patients at study centers in Switzerland. Then they randomized these patients into an intervention group and a control group. And then they excluded candidates who were currently trying out that positive airway pressure therapy and any drugs that act on the central nervous system, as well as anybody who was trying to lose weight or weighed too much or drank too much alcohol, because all of these things could be contributing factors. The patients in the intervention group took the didgeridoo classes and they learned the following things. I've never played a didgeridoo before, so I didn't. This was new to me. Uh, circular breathing is a technique that enables you to maintain sound for a long period of time by inhaling through your nose while maintaining airflow through the instrument itself and you use your cheeks as bellows. Okay. okay. So this is like the first kind of important part of this. And then the second is to optimize the complex interaction between your lips, your vocal tract, and the circular breathing I just mentioned so that the vibration in the upper airway is more readily transmitted down to the lower airway. Well, I guess one thing to keep in mind here is that with didgeridoo music, you don't hear a bunch of, uh, you know, staccato. You don't hear, you don't hear a da, 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 da. You hear long droning tones. It's sustained. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which I imagine also helps contribute to this, right? Now I've got a question. Are there any drone or doom metal bands that incorporate didgeridoo? There have to be. There have to be. I'm almost positive there is. Yeah. And, but do you think they're from Australia or somewhere else? I don't know. You get into an interesting area where it would be like a, like an, an, an aboriginal uh, subset of yeah. drone music, kind of like traditional drone music. Like uh, what happens when you run a didgeridoo through an orange amp? I mean, <laughs> I have to admit, like most Sun O records sound like they have didgeridoo yep. in the oh, background yeah. anyways. But uh, so here's the thing. How do you measure this? Well, it turns out there's several indexes to measure the effect on sleep. And so they brought these patients in, they gave them these indexes as surveys, and then they uh, used cardiorespiratory sleep studies on them. Um, finally, they gave the patients just a generic health and quality of life survey just to find out, you know, what's all going on, making sure everything's working the right way. They found this. The patient's quality of sleep actually didn't differ significantly between the people who played didgeridoo and the people who didn't. But their partners reported less sleep disturbances. Ah. Hmm. They also observed a significant effect on, of the didgeridoo playing on apnea or hypopnea. Uh, and so actually when they compared this to the positive airway pressure therapy, they found they're similar, but the didgeridoo has a slightly smaller effect. But essentially, like if you're out there and you're listening and you're like, oh, this is a problem for me and maybe you have to wear one of those masks at night or something like that, mm-hmm. maybe play didgeridoo instead. Like, you know what it reminds me of? Oh, is, well, uh, we would say obviously follow your doctor's recommendation, yes. but uh, – yeah, but yeah. At least try give didgeridoo a try, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do do both. Well, hey man, imagine how well you sleep if you do. One both. of the great things uh, about the didgeridoo uh, that I've, I've picked up on is that even if you don't play it or you never play it, uh, it still looks great propped up in a corner. Sure, yeah. Right. It's always yeah, yeah. a discussion starter. Well, I was thinking about how this reminds me of. And this leads us back to cats. We've done um, some research into cats before on this and on brain stuff, talking about uh, cat purring and the function oh, yeah. of cat purring as like mm-hmm. a method of healing both the cat and maybe people who are on the cat or like the cat's laying on or something like that. Mm. So the didgeridoo kind of made me think the same thing. Like there's some, there's an act of the vibration that's, that's working on 
here, but obviously also they're building up actual muscles and responses hmm. inside the respiratory system. So why is it funny? Well, because the sound and the look of the instrument is amusing. Everybody g- giggles at the didgeridoo, right? Because good day, mate. But why is it important? Well, this is an actual thing that can relieve a disorder that many people suffer from. You know, most people would go, that's a ridiculous thing. Why would we, why would we re- research that? If the didgeridoo instructor said, hey, this may actually have some benefits to your patients. Most people would just go, eh, yeah, sure. That's anecdotal. But they did the research and they found out that it's a real thing. Well, it comes back a- around to the idea of, of science is this slime mold, yeah. uh, you know, opening every cabinet and even the cabinets that seem a bit silly that we seem reluctant to, you know, to, to, to give much credence to the, the science is going to look in there and see if there's anything worth having. You know, this makes me think we could do probably whole episodes on the medical science of wind instruments. Like yeah. the, we got to go from this to bagpipe lung, right? <laughs> you know, the, yep. the inverse. Is that a condition? Like, oh, I'm suffering from bagpipe lung. Oh man. So you're a bagpipe player. And you maybe it's actually not funny because this has literally killed people. Oh man! But yeah, bagpipe lung is a thing that uh, where your bagpipe becomes infested with fungus without oh. you realizing. Because you're, you're continually, in, yeah, yeah, as you as you're continually experiencing this constricted airflow through this fungus-filled cavity, you are feeding all of these uh, these horrible particles into your lungs, and people don't realize what's going on, mm-hmm. and it can kill you. Oh man, that. Sounds like a great idea for an episode. Not to be a downer, guys. Uh-huh. Remember, uh, didgeridoo, well, the they thing. can help people. Yeah. Good day, mate. If you play bagpipes, also play the didgeridoo. Just to balance it I out. Don't think, okay. I don't think that they reverse the conditions, but you'll feel better about one thing while you're feeling worse about the other. All right. We actually have one more before we close out this installment of our uh, 2017 Ig Nobel series, and it is the Fluid Dynamics Prize. Ooh. Yeah. That sounds exciting. Wait, we already did fluid dynamics with those cats. <laughs> Somehow, I, I guess rheology is slightly different than fluid dynamics, or maybe yeah. fluid dynamics is a uh, is a larger subset category. I know fluid di- dynamics is certainly it, it, this. It's an area that always intrigues me because. For starters, they do have a at least one huge conference a year, and you see a lot of cool papers coming out of it. And it ranges tremendously because, for instance, one of the the best fluid dynamic papers, the most enthralling that I came across, was a paper that dealt with how uh, nuclear fallout moves through a, a, a metropolitan environment. Yeah, that seems oh. important. Uh, you know, with like flows of radioactive material uh-huh. hitting buildings, like cascading up buildings and so forth, yeah. and how we might be able to to map the uh, the flow of these materials. Oof, yeah. Hey, I got a, a fun footnote to that. Okay. The most expensive book in the world is a book that was written by Leonardo da Vinci, and it's owned by Bill Gates, and it's about fluid dynamics. Huh. Yeah. And it's written backwards. You wow. have to you have Backwards, to read it in a mirror, right to left. Mm-hmm. It's well, yeah, it's written so that you have to use a mirror to actually read it. Wow, yeah, that's impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, you should ask Bill Gates sometime if you can borrow it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pointless. It, the whole like, thing's actually it'll scanned be... and online. <laughs> well, you know, but but one of the great things about fluid dynamics is that yeah, it, it it certainly touches on some some rather grandiose topics, but it it also is just everywhere around us. Like I I have not looked up a study about this, but every time I'm making a smoothie. In the morning, uh-huh. uh, in the blender, I think about fluid dynamics. Now, like somebody out there has surely applied some serious scientific thinking to what's going on with my blender. Like how 
yeah. how the stuff blends or in many cases doesn't blend, how you end up with that section of smoothie on the top that's doing nothing while the bottom part is swirling around. I would imagine you like need a better blender. Smoothie well, yes, King or whatever <laughs> those like chains are. Like those Smoothie King's the one we have here in Atlanta. With the big square looking uh, yeah, blenders. They yeah. must have like uh, scientists on their teams no whose whole way. job is to figure out like how well these things can come up through straws. I've read about this. I think the best solution is to stick your hand down in there while it's going. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, that's what I was th- thinking you were going with the cat thing. Don't follow my advice, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this particular study is titled A Study of the Coffee Spilling Phenomena in the Low Impulse Regime. <laughs> so <laughs> I f- I, are we in the low impulse regime yeah, right now? I think the- we're in the high impulse regime. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that that phrase of the, the low yeah, impulse regime. Nice. Sounds like a band I would be really into. Yeah. Uh, sounds like something Captain Picard would say. <laughs> so basically, this paper asked the question, from a fluid dynamic standpoint, why does spillage occur with coffee, also with wine, and how might we limit it? And we've, mm. this, the great thing about this paper is it touches on a universal experience. I am the guy who inevitably always spills coffee on themselves. <laughs> I don't know what it is. You leave a trail of brown liquid. Yeah, like and my, to the point where my wife like knows when I've bought coffee <laughs> and have been driving in the car because she's just like, there's coffee stains everywhere. What is wrong with you? I eat like a raccoon and apparently with coffee, I just like throw the cup at my face, I guess. I don't know. But uh, yeah, even just like when it has a lid on it, and I move it around, it somehow gets everywhere. This is one of my favorite features of classic animation. If you watch like old Disney movies, Uh they're always depicting cups of liquid sloshing around crazily while people are consuming them. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Like people swinging a beer stein or a wine glass Mm. or something like that, and it's just splashing and sloshing all over the place. Well, and that kind of movement tends to... uh it, t- it, it tends to be everywhere in these old cartoons. Like the people are kind of sloshing back and forth. The yeah. action is kind of sloshing. I, I guess animation historians have probably have a uh, have a some terminology to throw behind this. Yeah, I would imagine it has something to do with like the form at the time that like the animators and illustrators were probably trying to figure out how best to render. Uh, liquid in, yeah. in cartoon format. Same as like with, with CGI, mm-hmm. like when it's super impressive how great water is rendered in yeah. CGI. I guess part of what I'm thinking of is that it's always like uh, in classic animation – Actions and the themes they signify are exaggerated. Like mm-hmm. if you watch old Disney movies, whenever somebody's drinking something, usually it's in some kind of feast scene that's signaling gluttony or something oh, like that. Yeah. And yeah. so there's all this depiction of excess and maybe the sloshing is one aspect of that. I immediately thought of uh, Fantasia and uh, Mickey carrying oh, you're the, right. yeah. the buckets of water. Splashing, splashing yeah. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So this particular paper is a South Korean paper, and it was published in Achievements in the Life Sciences, and it's by Yuan Han it's from uh, 2016. And uh, I'm not going to summarize a lot of the paper because a lot of the paper is just sort of breaking it down into, from a fluid dynamic standpoint, right. what's happening with a sloshing cup of coffee or a sloshing uh, goblet of wine. But the fun part is that this article doesn't just – doesn't just describe what's happening; it presents solutions. Nice. Okay. Yes. So uh, wait, you're telling me I might have some solutions for my coffee problems? Yeah, I'm saying that when you when we're done with this section, you will have uh, new ideas to implement okay. in your coffee consumption and your handling of a coffee mug. I like you, Ignobel. Uh, apart from sippy cups. <laughs> um. Well, a base. Well, they get in a way. They're sort of a sippy cup. They do okay. recommend you could 
you could hold the coffee mug with a like a, a small plate on top of it. Just cover the coffee mug. That, oh, okay. that seems obvious. You don't really That's need a, a scientist to point that out. But yeah, maybe if we didn't have an open container of liquid, uh-huh. we wouldn't have to deal with sloshing. But okay. I assume they have better solutions than that. They well, we'll see if you think they're better. Okay. Uh, here's a quote from the paper. Moreover, we showed that either walking backwards or holding the cup, the cup with a claw hand posture led to significant changes in the driving force frequency spectrum, suggesting a method to suppress uh, resonance. So wow. one of the ideas here is, yes, simply walk backwards with your coffee mug. Okay. Um, but the other is – and I have a – I feel like I would spill even more with that, but okay. I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> the other is to – have your make a claw with your hand, yeah, and hold the coffee mug uh, top down, not bottom up, right. <laughs> so you're holding your coffee like you're some sort of a like a cartoon vampire, yeah, uh, carrying yeah. it around from the top. You're the crane, of the, mug. the crane game, yeah. It's like the crane game where instead of grabbing uh, a bunch of like cheap stuffed animals, you're grabbing a single coffee mug. I know this is a better method. It makes you look kind of stupid, but. It is a better method according to the scientific data. Now, I know, Robert, you haven't seen the new season of Twin Peaks. Joe, you have, right? No, I actually haven't. Oh, okay. Yet. So neither of you I'm going to. Don't spoil anything. No, I'm just going to say there is a character named Dougie in it, and Dougie holds coffee in the claw method, but he does two handed claw, where he grabs it from the side and he holds it with both of his hands are clawed and he holds onto it tightly like that. Hmm. Man, I have a totally different idea of the claw hold, and it comes from my days serving in restaurants where the claw was how you fit three water glasses in the same hand. You've got this clutch oh, thing. Yeah. But right. it's underneath, right? Yeah, from the uh-huh. bottom where they each like – they fit between the first finger and the – well, I'm not going to describe all that. But yeah, you can get three water glasses in one hand if you use the claw. What was the spillage like with that? Not too much actually. Yeah? OK. Mm-hmm. It might have hit on a similar property. But that, that's the other thing that comes to mind uh, in the, the service industry. You can't really use the top-down claw method to bring someone their coffee at a restaurant. They're going to think you're a – yeah, they're going to say, take that back. Sure. You're you're basically sticking your hand in my beverage. But it looks like here that they have come up with a design that could fix that problem. Yes. uh, You carry it in your mouth and then spit it out (laughs) into the cup at the table. Well, at least it would be closed, right? And then you're prepared for a, a wonderful uh, cinematic response to any jokes that the the, uh, the customer may uh, may share. Right. But no, the, in addition to providing new ways to carry existing coffee mugs, this study does present an alternate coffee cup design. Quote, it is evident that a decrease in the radius of the cup can significantly increase the resonance frequency by dividing the cup into smaller cylindrical cells. Oh, cool. Oh. So. I like how this looks. It's like a a coffee cup, but it looks like it's got a bunch of like uh, syringes with the top sawed off inside of it. It's impossible to drink out of. It it looks impossible to drink out of. It looks a bit silly to say the least. You can't use a spoon for sure. I mean a straw. Yeah. Basically, the picture looks like a a glass like uh, cocktail tumbler. Sure. And inside it, there are all of these uh, glass vials. Yeah, it's packed with test tubes. Yeah. So imagine if you drink your coffee out of uh, a bunch of test tubes that have been lashed together uh-huh. as opposed to a single broad uh, drinking vessel. I mean, what this looks like is you'd be sipping out of the like bottom two test tubes and the rest would just be pouring into your eyes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you couldn't throw it back, that's for sure. <laughs> and it would be really – you would have to mix your cream and sugar in a different cup entirely before you even pour it. The thing that gets me about about this, really both of these suggestions, both the coffee cup design and the coffee mug handling uh, 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 method, is yeah. that 
what if these what if this is the way what if these are the changes we need for a better system of drinking and carrying coffee around yeah. but we're ultimately going to just be too vain to to change because yes drinking out of this bizarre contraption that looks like a bunch of test tubes looks silly carrying your coffee mug around with a claw uh, hold looks silly and it, but there are other things that we've seen in life where the sillier looking method is more successful and we don't do it because it looks silly. I'm going to offer a really stupid method, but it's my method. Uh-huh. I pretty much never spill my coffee because I never fill my cup more than two thirds of the way. Well, because this... I don't want to get the fear. But the thing is, Joe, I, I have, there have been so many times where, um, I've been coming in from my front porch. So I, I work on my front porch a lot when, yeah. uh, when I'm teleworking and I'll always have a coffee mug with me. And sometimes the coffee mug, you know, it's down to the last little bit. But you can still, trust me, you can still slosh the heck out of a cup of coffee when you have less than a fourth of a cup. Yeah. So if you're like trying to grab hold of a child or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or if you, you know, you you have a laptop and you have the coffee mug yeah, on top okay. of the laptop. But the the thing that this reminded me of, and I am not a sports person at all, but I but I heard a it was either a Radio Lab or this American Life episode in the last several years about the the granny shot in basketball about how this is the most effective way to make a free throw. So describe the granny shot. The granny shot is the it's generally associated with if you don't know how to bowl or you don't know how to throw a basketball, yeah. you simply hold it in your hands and you just you sort of. Stand legs apart. Legs akimbo, yeah, and you just uh, dangle it down there between your legs and then throw it up. Underhanded. Uh, underhanded. Yeah. A, a double-handed underhand throw with legs akimbo. So you're saying that people using this method get a higher frequency percentage of shots than people who don't use it. Yeah, basically the idea is that it's been proven that this is the most effective method, uh, even in the – really, especially in the NBA. Uh-huh. Uh, and those who utilize this method – um, make more free throws. But it's pretty rare that you'll see this during a game. Because it looks stupid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because it, there's this idea that if you throw the ball that way, you don't know what you're doing. Right. That it, it has less finesse to it, even if it's more effective. Yeah. Even if it could ultimately, you know, make a difference in winning games, it's still something, it's a line that most basketball players are not willing to cross. It sounds like there's a window for somebody to come in and uh, moneyball all this thing. <laughs> I guess, yeah. But, but Mon- I wonder... If- I'm sorry, I just use Moneyball as a verb, like I'm some ad executive. Well, let's quickly pivot away from that, and we'll move back <laughs> to the coffee cups. Yeah, but but it, it raises the question, What again, what if this is the best way? This is the scientifically verified way to drink coffee, and we're just all going to ignore it, as we've been ignoring it, because, uh, like I say, this, this, this came out last year, and nothing has changed. Yeah. And now that uh, it's getting, it's making the rounds with the Ig Nobel Prizes, it, is it more likely that people will listen to it? Will you? Will there be like one person in a given workplace that embraces the crazy test tube filled uh, coffee mug? If those tubes were available on the market and they weren't like prohibitively expensive, I'd give it a shot. Yeah, maybe we should. We could. It could be an experiment. We yeah. may, maybe listeners out there will try it themselves. If you don't try the test tube uh, oriented coffee mug, then try the top down claw method of holding the cup. And let us know how it goes. All right. So there you have it. Four down. Yeah. Um, six to go. 
Yeah. So follow us on our next episode about Ig Nobels. We're going to release this right one after the other sequentially, mm-hmm. I believe is how they say it. Uh, but you know what? If you've got any questions for us about coffee mugs or weird insect genitalia or how you make liquid cats, where can they get in touch with us, Joe? Well, you can go to stufftoblowyourmind.com where you've got everything we do, including Robert's excellent blog posts. He'll do some space music. He'll do some monsters. I don't know. Are we going to get any monsters in November? Surely we will, even though we've just... Yeah, surely I can find a monster, too, to throw in the, the November mix. But that's, of course, where you can get all of our podcasts. But also, you can go wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to us right now, so you probably know how to do that. If you're not subscribed, subscribe. And you can always email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.